Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hey. We have matching outfits today. We're both wearing the same jumper in different colours and we both have freshly washed hair. Soul sisters. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, are we finally seeing the death of influencer unboxings plus the sharp rise of Florence Pugh and her epic handling of online trolling and then how in a period like this one, conspiracy theories are given room to thrive. But first, Zara, do tell me, how was your week? My week wasn't bad. I bought a children's-sized desk to set up in my bedroom because I don't have that much space and it is the world's <laughs> tiniest desk. But it's nice to have a workspace. I've been recording all of our last few podcasts from my bed and I found myself cramping like every 10 minutes and having to pause the recording to move. So you will be most relieved about this because we might be able to do this without stopping. That is lovely. I'm very, very happy for you. I'm also slightly jealous because for the last two and a half weeks, I've been recording on like an outdoor deck table. So I brought it into the spare bedroom and I've been recording on it and it's really creaky and rickety and there are like spider webs and stuff that I just never cleared off it. So I definitely need like a home office glow up. I feel like also your table is always a bit damp because it's raining in Melbourne all the time. So the wood's always a bit damp. I tell you what we should do. We should start a thread in the Facebook group getting people to take photos of their work setups and how average they are and how makeshift they are and put them in photos because I'm so intrigued to see how people are working right now. Yeah. And let us say, we don't want to see a super fancy at home office set up. The rule for this is it's the worse, the better. Like, can you do worse than an outdoor deck table that is damp and has spiderwebs on it? Yes or no. If it's a yes, I want to see it. Or a wonky children's desk put together by me in about 15 minutes and one Alan Key when I'm sure I needed more tools than that. Otherwise, Michelle, I am watching a lot of Netflix at the moment and I haven't really ever been one to watch a lot of TV. I think it's my concentration span, to be totally honest. But I watched Unorthodox this week, which is a four-episode series. You haven't seen it, have you? No, I haven't at all. And I've seen it all over our Facebook group and I'm starting to feel FOMO. You will really like it. So it's only four episodes, which is not the most intimidating task. And it's about a young Jewish girl growing up in New York who is part of a a Hasidic community and she wants to break away from that. And she is put into an arranged marriage at the age of 17 and decides by about the age of 19 that she wants to run away. And it is so searing and well-made and the acting is incredible. So much of the series is in Yiddish and it's an incredible insight into that community. That said, I have read small elements of criticism, that being, you know, it does paint the women in those communities as having no personality and no rights and that is not always the case. So it is one of those cases of it being one person's story in one community. But it was so interesting to me because this was one of the first times I've ever seen a storyline of vaginismus played out on a really high-profile television show. Did you watch Sex Education? Was there one? Wow. I've heard there is. Yes, there's one in Sex Education. It's one episode. Sex Education is great for that kind of stuff, though, whereas I'm guessing for something like Unorthodox, you wouldn't expect to have a storyline about something that is a very progressive conversation. I mean, it's about what? Sex and women's pleasure. So how did that come up? Does she suffer from it? Yeah, so she suffers from it. And then this is not really a spoiler at all. I promise you I won't spoil anything. But to have that storyline there, it almost felt invasive watching it or it almost felt like I almost felt like it was an invasion of my own privacy as someone who's spoken about vaginismus before watching that storyline play out because I've never seen it play out anywhere else and suddenly it's like watching your own story in front of you and I know we have conversations about representation all the time and the power of storytelling but when you watch it back it's so 
it was confronting. Like I didn't love watching it, but I knew it was important. But I re- there's one scene where I don't think I realized how long I was sitting on it and sort of felt tense by it until maybe three or four days later because it was such a stark representation of so much that probably I had been through and so many other women had been through. So I think that alone is a really good reason to watch just to see that in the mainstream. Absolutely. I love to hear that they've done that. As uncomfortable as it is, as you said, it's for the greater good. So it's good to have these storylines out there because still so many people don't even know what it is. Like still people hear the word and go, what's that? So the more representation, the better. Yeah, totally. Tell me about your week. How was your week? My week, I guess, was like every other week. My skin has chucked the most royal tantrum ever. Like I generally have pretty clear skin and in the last 10 or so days, it has just gone to absolute shit. I don't know what to do about it. There is acne like in the most random parts of my face. And I feel like so many other people going through this right now because there was a thread in the Facebook group of women sharing how they had just had this crazy raging acne pop up in the midst of this virus. And then I also saw people like Laura Henshaw, who I follow on Instagram. We love Laura. She posted about how her acne has been raging as well. And I just wonder, is this like a stress response? Like what the hell's going on to my skin? Well, that's what I'm reading everywhere is that everybody has a stress response to this and it is manifesting in their skin because I'm the same. My skin is so, so dry and patchy at the moment. And no matter how much like moisturizer I whack onto it, which is probably not the technical response to dry skin. I don't actually know how to deal with it. Like someone like Gemma Watts, who who's a beauty general and beauty expert would be crying into her like cereal right now listening to how I respond to it. But I don't know how to fix it, but it just feels so drawn. So yes, I think it's a thing. I think it's science. It must be science. It's got to be science. I do have a recommendation. I mean, this is a recycled recommendation because it's not something that's new and it's not something that I'm guessing the majority of listeners haven't heard of. But I watched Lion, which is the film with Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. It's about a boy who was adopted from India. It's a true story that was then turned turned into a drama, of course, Zara. And I absolutely love this film. I'd completely forgotten about it until my mum reminded me that it's on Netflix because she watched it early last week and told me to rewatch it. And it is such an underrated film. Like I have nothing but praise for this. I think it is such a gorgeously done movie. The acting is brilliant. The storyline is such a much needed perspective check at a time like this. I feel like I I sobbed, which I am such a movie crier. Anyone who knows me will know that. I don't just get teary. I literally sob to the point where Mitch sometimes has to pause the film so I can let out all my tears and then we can start again. But this was just what I needed in that there are so many people in the world who are in such dire circumstances. And yes, what we're going through now is really, really difficult, but it's also important to keep those people in mind at times like this because they're going to end up being the real victims. And if we don't keep them front of mind, then we get really lost in our own stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I am trying to consciously seek out perspective wax in times like this when you kind of get stuck in your own head and stuck in your own issues and what's going on in your direct circle when in reality things could be so, so much worse and so much harder. So I do want to watch that. I don't think Ollie has seen Lion, so he's been bugging me all week to watch it. I'm just not one for re-watching movies, but I may do this under your instructions. Please do. It is such a good one. And if you haven't watched it, please come into the Facebook group and tell me what your impression is. Go to Netflix, watch it tonight. I promise you it will not be two hours of your time that is wasted. From Lion and kids who were adopted out of India, Zara, to influencer unboxings, we're going high and then we're going very, very low. We want to talk today. We want to start this episode with a post that was actually put into our Facebook group from listener Lexi. I loved this post. Do you want to read it out? Do you have it on you? 
I absolutely do. So Lexi wrote, hey, ladies, something triggered me this morning that wouldn't normally. And it's most likely because half of my industry has either lost their job or been stood down. And there are people very close to me really struggling. Has anyone else felt resentful when they normally wouldn't be so emotionally impacted by watching influencers unboxing all the free shit they've been sent? This morning, I saw an Instagram story of an influencer saying how bad this COVID-19 stuff was, etc. Then her next 13 stories were of her opening packages. I find it super distasteful right now. Am I being sensitive or is there some merit to my rage? Zara, what do you think? Originally, when I read this, I thought, yeah, that's a pretty fair point. Like it's not the most palatable thing to be consuming on your Instagram feed at the moment when people are losing their jobs and nobody's really living a life of excess. The more I kind of spent time actually nutting out my thoughts, it was one of those things where I started writing my thoughts down and realized I'd kind of come a full 180. I wanted to start with the concept of unboxings first for people who don't know what they are. So unboxings are maybe when an influencer gets sent a bunch of product, usually for free, actually, no, almost always for free. And they sort of (laughs) open said product on their Instagram feed, on their stories, and they show their followers what they've been sent. And sometimes that stuff will be paid. Sometimes it will be an ad, but most of the time it's not paid. Most of the time it's just shouting out the stuff they got sent. That sound about right to you, Mish? Yeah, it does. I think the premise from this actually began on YouTube, right? So it began with beauty YouTubers way back when they'd get sent product, they'd unbox it on camera. And it started off as just being like one PR package at a time. This is also huge amongst kids that some kids do unboxing videos and that's all on their YouTube channel, but they're actually the biggest stars on YouTube. So there's one kid called Ryan Toys Review. He is, I think he's eight now, but he began when he was five. At one point, he was making $1 million a month off videos where he just unboxed toys. I think it really taps into the idea of receiving something new and shiny. It's very much aspirational culture for children and for adults. I think when beauty YouTubers or Instagram influencers do unboxings for their followers, it really does hark back to that very childlike instinct where we want to get presents. We want to open them. We want to know what's inside. It's the element of a surprise and of newness and shininess. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think the idea that these videos are so popular among children actually says a lot about the psychology of unboxings, that it's not just a culture of excess at all. I read this really interesting quote from Dr. Michael Rich, who's an associate professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School. And when he was talking about this concept of unboxing and children, he said, I think kids enjoy these videos because kids enjoy Christmas and birthdays, which is they are vicariously gaining that surprise of what's in it, what's in it, what's in it. Oh, wow, that's really cool. And it sounds like an overly simple way to look at this, but I think unboxings up until this point have been incredibly popular because of that very simple psychology behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with influencer unboxings, it has become something slightly different. So at the beginning, it was one parcel, one element of surprise. Whereas now influencers, because they sent so many PR packages across a week, they'll sit in front of a camera and they might unbox half a dozen or a dozen parcels at once. And I think there has been a slow but steady push against this kind of content that's been building up until now. And now it's had this rapid rise where people are really agitated to see unboxing videos on their Instagram stories and in their feed. And I am interested by this, Zara. You said you've done a 180 and I'm actually the same. That when I first read Lexi's post, I thought, okay, well, that's totally fair enough. Like that is annoying and it's tone deaf. And I don't necessarily think that it's not tone deaf anymore. It's just that I think that this is content that's been around for a long time. It's content that is some influencers bread and butter. And if you don't like it, 
I would save my rage for something else and just click unfollow. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think unboxings are interesting to me because I do actually think they serve some purpose. I don't think they are wholly futile all the time. In some cases, many influencers do use them to shout out small business. And if there's one thing we know at this period that we're in, it's that small business need as many shout outs as they possibly can. I also think that influencers need to work just as much as the rest of us right now. Yes, some unboxings may not pay and yes, some unboxings may be tone deaf, but maybe it's just about them having a good relationship with a brand that could ensure more work later. The other way to look at it is maybe it's just another form of advertising in a period where business is tough for everything. I do think that it's about perspective here. Yes, we could look at it as gross and over the top, or we could consider the fact that the influencer economy needs to keep rolling just like everything else needs to keep rolling. The only difference is influencers should be self-aware, and that's about all I ask, that if they're going to do this very over-the-top excessive unboxing that they say at the start, this might not be for everyone if you've had a hard day, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, and just for a bit of clarity around the situation as well, we're obviously not influencers, but we do sometimes receive PR packages. And something that I'm really surprised by as someone who you to watch this unfold on my Instagram feed and not quite understand the mechanics of it, I would say, Zara, 99% of the packages that rock up at our office, which are mostly books, which I bloody love, but most of them, we have no idea they're coming. Like something will rock up and we'll be like, how did they get our address? What is this? What is this brand? And often they are small businesses. So the women on your Instagram feed who are doing these unboxings, I can almost guarantee a lot of them aren't being paid for it. They're just doing it to say thank you to a brand that they've never had contact with. And once the brand's already sent you something and gone to the effort of maybe personalizing a phone case for you or writing you a really nice card and saying that they hope you enjoy their products. You do want to repay that. You do want to say, hey, you spent the money on postage. You spent the money on giving me this product for free. And I don't want you to think you've done that with nothing in return. So some influencers would simply feel indebted to the small businesses that are sending them products. And I don't think we should necessarily feel angry about that. If it's not for you, unfollow, move on with your day. But I don't begrudge anyone who wants to do this. Yeah, I guess the thing about that is it's not always the case that influencers don't know what's coming. Sometimes they will actually specifically ask for the stuff and get sent it. So I guess it's the same as anything. Not all influencers are made equal. But I also think we need to flip how we are thinking right now. Influencers who solely rely on influencing as a job aren't getting much work right now. The appearance of excess and the reality of excess are two very different things. It's one thing to look at an influencer and be like, well, look at all this shit they're getting sent. Their life is very easy. But in reality, that's kind of the only work they have right now. They're not getting paid in cash. So I think it's really time that we consider what excess looks like and what success looks like, because I think that there's far more when you pull the curtain up. Hi there. You've called the Shameless Hotline. Please leave your message after the beep. Hey, Mission Zara. It's Rhiannon here. I just thought I'd take the few lines I've had tonight as courage to tell you guys my good news lockdown story which is that I'm pretty much now dating my new roommate he moved in just over a month ago and as soon as I met him I just had the biggest crush on him he is wonderful since isolation has started we have obviously been spending a lot more time together and now quote seeing each other unquote and the whole situation has made me think about this line that I read in a modern love essay that quotes Heidi Gillivarts, she says, Crushes thrive in small spaces, without the element of choice and in conjunction with captivity, you find love, or at least you find lust. 
I just can't help but think how this is quite literally me right now. Even if it is just lust, it's been an amazing distraction from all the awful news going around the world right now. And I do feel quite lucky to have found some joy in such a stressful time. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Elizabeth, I want Margot Robbie on the podcast. Andrews, what have you got for me? Well, what I've got for you before I give you any of the stories is an update on our Margot Robbie situation. For those who don't follow us on Instagram, we have begun Get Margot Robbie on the Podcast Mission 2020. It's going very well. We're in week one, phase one. But Zara, we've resorted to using her favorite food as a ploy to get her on. Margot loves Cocoa Pops. I researched this. She had them as a dessert at her wedding. So we use them. If you head to our Instagram feed at Shameless Podcast, you'll see exactly how. And we have a whole lot of uh, little strategies and tactics in store to get Margot on the podcast. So if you can spread the word and send her a DM right now, I encourage you to. Yeah, this is... (laughs) I love how you said stage one, phase one, it's all going very well because I feel like you can't define how well it's going until you actually get her on the podcast. Going well for us right now means we've started. Like we've got Instagram posts up, people are reaching out. Thank you to the beautiful team at Sports Girl who this week sent her a DM on our behalf because they thought the nostalgia factor might play really well. Thank (laughs) you. If anyone from Neighbours wants to reach out, we'd love that. The more support, the better. You cannot support us enough in this quest. Okay, can you actually give us the quick and dirty now? (laughs) My apologies. My first quick and dirty story. Twitter boss pledges $1 billion for coronavirus relief effort. That is from the BBC. Zara, what a quarantine. I know he's a man, but he can be a quarantine on this occasion. Okay, I still would like to take the mic to appreciate the fact that I created the term quarantine. You've just hijacked it as your own. So please let the records show that quarantine is my own. Anywho, Twitter boss Jack as we all know him, Twitter Jack, is a quarantine or a quarantine. We can have both <laughs> because he pledged a billion dollars. That is huge. That is massive money. And this is a billion dollars of his own money. So it's about a third, almost a third of his wealth. That is crazy that a billion dollars could just be a third of someone's wealth. But still, I would argue 30% of what anyone owns is still a very generous donation, something he didn't have to do. Just for clarity's sake, he is selling a billion dollars worth of his shares in his own company called Square. I didn't know he owned this. I did not know the founder of Twitter was also the founder of the Square thing, which if you're wondering, is that like touch and go thing? You know, when you walk into cafes and they've got that little square on their desk or what? I'm not describing this very well. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my God, the pay is the pay, <laughs> the pay thing. <laughs> Do you mean the pay yeah, thing? The pay the thing. Pay he's that square tap guy. I thought Apple did yeah, them. Or is he's, they, he's Apple, that. Wait, so he works with Apple to do the squares? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Have I fucked this? Should I just Google this? <laughs> Are you going to do a live Google? I'm getting, am I getting confused? I don't know. if I think Apple makes some of the products, but the actual software, which is called Square Payment Processing, is founded by Twitter Guy. Oh, my God. Mr. Twitter Guy is quite clever. Or maybe he just invested early. Either way, clever guy. He gets the stamp of a quarantine. I reckon we should try to celebrate a quarantine every single week, like someone who's famous who's doing great stuff. Yeah, because we did sort of on any celebrity last week who tries to do good. So let's try and bring the good ones back. Let's bring them to the fore. Well, there's more 
on celebrities to come. So stay tuned. <laughs> My second quick and dirty story. New, I want, I would like you to bow down to me for this one, Zara McDonald. New Tiger King episode coming Sunday. Netflix releases teaser. That is from Entertainment Weekly. Of course, by the time this episode is live, it will already be out. We will probably be in front of a television watching it, Zara. But as we record, it is coming out tomorrow. And I was friggin' right when I told you that Tiger King was eight episodes long clearly the psychic part of my brain knew. It knew that it was going to end up being eight episodes long, even if there are only seven episodes when it was first released. Okay. I, this doesn't absolve you in any way, shape or form. For those who missed it, a couple of weeks ago, Michelle said Tiger King had eight episodes. So my boyfriend and I sat down, paused the seventh episode with 10 minutes to go, not realizing that we were pausing the finale. Now, we will never get that back. Like even though there's an eighth episode, we will never ever get that back. You always robbed us of that eighth episode in that moment on that Monday night. The tiniest violin in the world is playing for you right now. One thing that I do want to say is that I hope that the directors (laughs) did not see the hype for this. They didn't release the first seven episodes, see the hype, and then decide to tack on an eighth episode on the end. Because as you know, I hate tacking on extra content to the end of things when it wasn't supposed to be there and it only lives there because the original thing is really popular. I hate that. This is so going to be tacked on. This is going to be archival footage rushed together at the 11th hour just because they saw how popular it is. So your eighth episode may be the the worst thing in the world. I do feel like this is the equivalent of like, you know, when your mum used to put together all the leftovers in the fridge for Friday night dinner, I feel like the eighth episode of Tiger King will be Friday night leftovers dinner. Hey, that's not bad by you. Well done. Just go, roll on to your second story so you finish on a high. My third story, but thank you for thinking it's such good <laughs> content. We're only on number two. My third story, Vogue Italia prints all white cover for its April issue to signify rebirth amid coronavirus crisis. That is from People. How interesting was this? So for those who didn't see the cover, it was literally just a white cover with white Vogue on top. That said, when Italy is completely shut down and nobody can leave their house, I don't really know what role Vogue can play in this if they still wanted to tell a story that was a story about fashion. Not to say that fashion doesn't matter right now, but I'm not sure what you put on the cover of a magazine in a period like this that's not blank and signaling something bigger than the industry itself. Yeah, I actually think this was the best they could do with a bad situation. I think the statement they put out was really beautiful as well. I'm going to read it. It's from their Instagram account. In its long history, stretching back over 100 years, Vogue has come through wars, crises, acts of terrorism. Its noblest tradition is to never look the other way. Just under two weeks ago, we were about to print an issue that we had been planning for some time and which involved a twin project. But to speak of anything else, while people are dying, doctors and nurses are risking their lives and the world is changing forever, it is not the DNA of Vogue Italian. Accordingly, we shelved our project and started from scratch. The decision to print a completely white cover for the first time in our history is not because there was a lack of images, quite the opposite. We chose it because white signifies many things at this time. They went on to explain that white is the color of respect rebirth, light after darkness, and it is the sum of all colours. It's also the colour worn by those fighting the virus on the front line. It also represents space, time to think, and silence. I think it's really beautiful and really moving. I think they did a really good job with this. I agree. And I think that statement was very, very beautifully written. So props to Vogue Italia. My fourth story, 19 Aussie canteen foods ranked from yeah, nah to I need this right now. That is from BuzzFeed. Of course, there's some sort of like weird ranking in here. What was at the very top, Michelle? 
The very top, do you mean the very best? Because they did this from Yena. So the first one you saw was the worst of the worst and then it went down to the best. I didn't even know what, I don't think I remember what the worst one they had was. What I'm most offended by is second worst. So the one that ranked 18 out of 19 foods was Ovaltinis. How can Ovaltinis be the second worst canteen food? I never liked Ovaltinis. Ovaltinis are no good. Ovaltinis were like a try-hard Milo. <gasps> I actually don't even have words. I friggin' love Ovaltinis, especially the yogurt-covered Ovaltinis. They were just like the like king of Ovaltinis. I'm offended. I'm offended that BuzzFeed put Ovaltinis below friggin' Sesame Snaps. Have you eaten Sesame Snaps before? Because they suck and they ranked 17th. Oh, my God. Ghost Drops only came in at number 10. They should have been number one. Ghost Drops are the best things in the world. Yeah, Rainbow Straps as well should have been number one or number two. The ones that I'm offended most by, Sunny Boys got 15th spot. Sunny Boys are amazing and should have been top three. Agree with you. Hard agree. Also, Paddle Pops got third. I'm not super offended by that. I think that's okay. I'm just more offended that this list seems to be intentionally annoying and intentionally aggravating. The one that I really don't understand is that top spot went to something called pizza rounders. And I have never heard of anything called pizza rounders in my entire life. I've never heard of pizza rounders. I have never heard of pizza rounders aren't real. They're not real. They've given number one to a food that's not real so that we talk about it on the podcast. Props to BuzzFeed. Well done, BuzzFeed. I think this is just Sydney privilege. Clearly someone from Sydney wrote this, didn't check that pizza rounders are only available to Sydney ciders and none of us know what the hell's going on. So top spot should have gone to Ovaltini's, second spot Sunny Boys, third spot Paddle Pops. I won't hear anything else. All right, onwards, onwards, Mrs. Canteen Food. My fifth story, Alan slammed for quarantine joke. She really is the worst. That is from news.com.au. Oh, my God. Where is all of this anti-Ellen sentiment coming from? Don't get me wrong. I'm not standing here like on my heart horse saying that I am the world's biggest Ellen fan, but all of this negative publicity towards Ellen is coming out of nowhere. That said, her joke was bad. <laughs> So what was the joke? Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown? She basically said she tried to crack this joke that being in quarantine or self-isolation was a little like prison because she's worn the same outfit for the last 10 days and everyone in her house is gay. And that is me paraphrasing her joke. But everybody is kind of like, look at your house. Like it's not prison. And I, I know she was probably saying it all tongue in cheek, but it is one of those really tone deaf comments to make when everybody's experience of self-isolation does not look the same. Yeah, I think it's just tone deaf again. Like I think this would have been funny in a different climate, but when the photo of you in prison, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, of course, is you sitting on a really beautiful couch in front of like floor-to-ceiling windows with like a frigging rainforest in your backyard, it just doesn't translate. Like I know celebrities want to be funny and I know they really want to be relatable at a time like this, this is not the way to do it. You telling everyone that you're in prison right now because you're in your, what, $15 million mansion. Like just $27 isn't million. Look, no one's going to find it funny. Just find better ways to connect with people in this time. I feel like it's lazy content and I'm really not surprised it doesn't translate well with the average person. All of that said, I don't know why people are coming for Ellen DeGeneres so hard at the moment. I feel like 
Where is this really intense commentary about Ellen coming from? Because, yeah, she made a poorly timed, slightly tone deaf joke. But do we have to be so critical of her? Like, where is the element of gentleness when we talk about this woman? She has done plenty of good and I still fail to understand what evil crimes we're suddenly all hating her for. And I say we are all because that's definitely the sentiment on the internet right now. Anti-Ellen sentiment is rife and I don't think it's fair. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to keep a really close eye on it because I would not be surprised if this is a story that keeps rearing its head in the next few weeks or even months. Something is brewing and I don't know where it's coming from, but I am on it. You're welcome. That is all for today's Quick and Dirty. I love how she just doesn't even acknowledge that. You keep chasing, you Ellen police hunter. Anyway, thank you so much for those thoughtful, (laughs) wonderful stories, Michelle Andrews. Thank you. Bye. Coming up after the break, what makes Florence Pugh the most endearing celebrity on the planet right now? Then how celebrities are playing the most dangerous role in spreading a widely debunked conspiracy theory. But first, a word from today's sponsor. In case you missed it, Florence Pugh has no time for your abuse and trolling of her partner, Zach Braff. Yep, this week Pugh uploaded a video to Instagram lamenting how, when she uploaded a photo for her partner's birthday, it was littered with abuse and criticism. You see, Pugh is 24, Braff is 45. This is what she had to say. On Monday, I posted a photo in honour of Zach's birthday and I wrote a birthday message underneath. Within about eight minutes of the photo being posted, I had about 70% of the comments hurling abuse and being horrid and uh, basically bullying someone on my page. It is the first time in my entire Instagram life that I have had to turn off the comments on my page. I have never been an Instagram page that encourages that. Mish, I want to start talking about Florence Pugh before we talk about that searing statement because I think she's had such a sharp rise in the last six months and the fact that she feels comfortable this early in her career at the age of just 24 giving such a mature and wise statement kind of blew me away. So I want you to talk to me about that to start. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe that Florence Pugh is 24. I mean, I remember you came onto this podcast maybe a few months ago, Zara, and said that your new crush, your celebrity crush was Florence Pugh. And I had really no idea who you were talking about until I went and watched Little Women and came away with the exact same obsession that you have. The fact she's 24 blows my mind. And I don't know why, but I feel like when you find out that someone really amazing and successful and eloquent and wonderful is younger than you are, it feels like the universe is a little bit unfair. I don't want to compare myself to other people, but when you compare yourself to Florence Pugh, it's like, what the hell? How is she so incredible, so young? Yeah, there are so many elements of that being like, you're a baby. I mean, she's only like a year younger than we are, but even still, you're like, you're so young and so wise and so mature. For those who don't really know much about Pugh, who maybe haven't seen Little Women and not are really sure what the hype is, she is British, so she grew up in Oxford, and her international breakthrough came in 2019. So she starred in three films in 2019 that went gangbusters. Is gangbusters a dorky word? I feel like gangbusters is a dorky word, but no more dorky than smash hit. Thank you so much. So she starred in a couple of gangbusters, or a few, I should say, one called Fighting With My Family, another called Midsummer, and then she starred as Amy March in Little Women. I think it's important to note as well, Mish, that 
In 2018, she'd never appeared in an American-produced film, so she wasn't really working in Hollywood at all until 2019. So this is a pretty fresh rise in global fame for her. Yeah, and I think she might be so loved because the character of Amy in Little Women, I was reading some articles about this, was so hated across history. Like for the last 150 years, Amy in Little Women was the character everyone loved to hate because she was narcissistic and obsessed with money. And I feel like Florence Pugh came along and gave that character a complete complete twist and came out of that movie. I mean, I left that movie feeling like she was one of the most dazzling women I've ever laid eyes on and one of the most dazzling characters I've ever grown to love. And I think her transformation of that role and her ability to provide a new context and a new look on that character has been really pivotal in people viewing her really positively. Well, it's so interesting. There is something completely alluring about her in Little Women and it is so rare that I'll pull away from a movie and madly Google and be like, who is that and where did they come from? But you're so right. She did something with the character of Amy on screen that sort of blew her up as much as it kind of blew everybody else's mind, sort of reconsidering how they think about that character. But also I think she was just striking to look at on screen and I think to be a big movie star having that presence on screen is huge. For those who don't know anything about her, I would recommend two things, right? I would recommend you listen to her interview on The Hollywood Reporter and I would also recommend you follow her on Instagram. She does these remarkable and very obscene like cooking videos where she never wears makeup or is ever particularly done up and it makes her seem like the antidote to a Hollywood star. Yeah, I love that you said that. I haven't listened to the interview with The Hollywood Reporter but I do follow her on Instagram and I think that is so key to why I find her so likable and so electric and I'm trying to distill why that is. Like what makes Florence Pugh different to the other women who go through Hollywood or blow up and become megastars. And I think the way I consider it is that Florence Pugh seems so entirely unchanged by fame in that she doesn't seem egotistical. She doesn't seem narcissistic. Of course, money and fame and wealth might have changed her, but it certainly doesn't appear to be that way via Instagram. And I feel like she comes across as someone who is remarkably open, switched on and silly all at once in that she has her wits about her. She doesn't suffer fools, but she's also willing to point the finger at herself and make fun of herself and she doesn't take herself too seriously. Yeah, I think that's completely it. And I think there was a great quote in the New York Times. The New York Times did a profile on her in Jan of this year and an old casting director of hers, Shaheen Baig, who cast her in, I think, three films back when she was a bit younger, said, it's rare that you find someone at that age who is so comfortable in her own skin. There's no fear or vanity. It doesn't matter what you throw at her. And I thought it was a very beautiful quote. But the thing I can't stop thinking about as we even have this conversation, Mish, is do you ever worry about if we put her on a pedestal like this, this young, is the inevitable thing that's going to happen that we eventually tear her down from it like we did Jennifer Lawrence and other people that we fall in love with? I mean, I hope not. I think looking back, I mean, you and I have touched on this lately as well, that sometimes we look back on things we said on the podcast and go, "Mm, I'm not sure I believe that anymore. And I remember you and I did a segment on Chrissy Teigen, would have been the first year that we did this podcast. And we said, oh, is the cool girl Sheen going to come off? Like, are we setting her up for failure? Is she going to come crumbling down? And I don't think she has. In Chrissy Teigen's case, I think she's more loved than ever. I think she ticks some people off because she's political, but that's bound to happen when you're political. You're going to piss off some people with what you say. And I think the older I get, the more I 
do kind of have hope for people like this. Like I genuinely think someone like Florence Pugh can just be loved and she doesn't have to be torn down for anything and she doesn't have to disappoint anyone. And I think she won't disappoint anyone or I hope she doesn't anyway because she seems so open. Like I genuinely do think what she brings to the table on her Instagram page, whether that's in her pumpkin soup recipe or her dancing in her kitchen, I just think that's her. She's never going to please everyone, but as far as being lovable and being genuine I think she does a really good job of it I love that you brought that um Shaheen Beg quote to the podcast as well I actually wrote that down as well I think the idea of her being so comfortable in her own skin is so vital because I think maybe that's what makes so many child stars and she was a child star she got her first major role at 17 it makes them go down a weird path but to have someone who didn't come from a famous background who has a very normal family have that kind of conviction with what she thinks and why she thinks it is so refreshing and beautiful and it does make me hopeful for someone like her. I do want to talk to you about the statement she released this week because this is the whole reason we wanted to do this segment. We have loved Florence Pugh for a while, but what she put out on Instagram mid last week just intensified our adoration for her. Yeah, it totally did. And I wanted to put another clip in here too, where she talks about how she doesn't want anyone to tell her who she should and shouldn't love. I do not need you to tell me who I should and should not love. And I would never in my life ever, ever tell anyone who they can and cannot love. It is not your place. Um, and really, it has nothing to do with you. So if, if those rules are something that you do not like, then please unfollow me. So this quote in particular is about Zach Braff. As I said in the intro, she started dating Zach Braff in about April of 2019 and Zach just turned 45. She, as we just said as well, is 24. So there's about a 21-year age gap between them. Full transparency here, and I'm just going to be completely honest. Internally, when I first heard this news, which was months ago, and they never publicly acknowledged it, but it was pretty well confirmed, I felt a bit, I don't even know the word for it, maybe maybe uneasy, but maybe uneasy is too extreme about such a big age gap when she was just entering Hollywood. Like I said before, she'd never done an American film up until 2019. And of course, of course, of course, it's important to let people just be and let people be happy. But also I'm not going to lie here and say, I see a relationship like that and don't hope desperately that it's on an even footing, that it's equal and that there isn't a crazy power dynamic. Like that's where my mind goes and I can't lie about that. And that's how I felt a couple of months ago. Were you similar? Well, to be brutally honest, I had no idea they were even rumoured to be dating. I mean, my love affair with Florence Pugh is far shorter than what yours has been. And I did not know she was dating Zach Braff at all. I know. So I didn't really know this at all until she had posted, until all this drama was stirred up. I don't blame you, though. Like, I don't blame you for feeling a slight sense of uneasiness around seeing photographs of them holding hands or learning that they're together when there is two decades that separates them in age. Because when we have a backdrop of someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, that's going to colour all of our expectations or our ideas about what relationships with huge age gaps look like. And I think there's a key difference here. So I've done some research. Zach Braff does not have a history of dating women so much younger than he is. And I think that's important because I do really think there's a difference between someone who happens to fall in love with a woman two decades younger than them, two decades their junior, compared to someone who only falls in love with women who are two decades their junior. It is two very different things because I believe you can fall in love with anyone. Like, 
gender, age, whatever. It doesn't surprise me when someone falls in love with someone that you probably wouldn't expect them to. I do think it's a bit creepy and a little bit questionable when someone has such a specific type that is so tied to them being so much younger than them. Yeah, I think that's bang on. And I think that's the process that I've been coming to today. I think it's hard not to feel coloured when stories about Leonardo DiCaprio and the dynamics of those relationships have been so pervasive in the last 12 months. And I guess the reason that I wanted to talk about my initial response or internal response, I should say, is because I imagine that a lot of people would have been similar. I mean, I remember reading this piece in Slate by Heather Schwedell, and she spoke about how frustrating it is to see older men consistently date younger women. And she wrote at the time, and it was a couple of years ago, it's just so transparent watching one of these paragons of fragile masculinity take his male privilege out for a spin and realise he can date someone so young she won't know how inappropriate it is. Why not father a child you'll be too old to raise properly while you're at it? The exact ages and differentials vary, but each one reinforces one important point. Women get less valuable as they age while men just get to enjoy the ride. And so I understand And when people read stuff like that and there is those kinds of thoughts going around that you look at a relationship and want to make an example of it, right? When you know that those power dynamics are at play, when you know that those ideas are at play, when you know that that is true, women do get less valuable as they age. And often an age gap in relationship is the best way to prove that point. It's easy for your mind to feel uneasy. I think the thing that I've been grappling with since hearing her statement and feeling so sad for her that she had to go through that and so sort of annoyed at myself that I was so initially uneasy about it is that I'm trying to find space in the gray area where I recognize that some people can be the anomaly, that a lot of people can be the anomaly. And while the greater issue of gender and power dynamics do matter, we do not need to be making some people the example for a really complex issue that they actually have no part to play in. Totally. And by all accounts, this seems like she's a woman who is chronologically age 24, but has the maturity of a 34 plus year old woman. And I think her decision actually, Zara, just to talk about the mechanics of how she called out the public and took us all down for judging her relationship with Zach Braff. I think the mechanics of it were just genius in that the majority of people, I know that if I was in this situation, I probably would have responded to this by writing a lengthy, moody caption. Like I would have put up some moody image and put some long winding caption taking everyone down. But I think her decision to do a video, like to come face to face, look us all in the eye, have minimal makeup on, have very natural hair and say, look, you're all kind of acting in a really shitty way was the most powerful way to do it. This was a masterclass because in making it a video on her feed, she spoke individually to every single one of her followers. And there was no ambiguity with her message. When you have something written down, the tone can be misconstrued. It could be taken in a million different ways. It can be flattened in a quite murky way. Whereas when you have a video and you're talking with honesty and candor about things that really matter to you and things that have really pissed you off, there's no room to misinterpret what she's trying to say. Yeah. And there's also no way you can look at that and argue with it and argue that she's not a young 24-year-old who is, as you say, wise beyond her years with her head screwed on who knows what she wants. Also, it is so rare that a celebrity issues a statement that doesn't feel like it has the fingerprints of like publicity tycoons all over it. Like, yes, it was probably approved by her publicity team before she pushed send. But more than that, it just didn't feel like it had the input of a huge publicity team around her. Like it seemed about as authentic as it was. So I think it's probably the best move of hers. It's so not often that I would say it's a good move for a celebrity to come out 
and sort of protect their relationship as furiously as they did because inevitably we just get annoyed by that and we don't respond as positively as we are to this one. But it's just a testament to how much she nailed it. Thoughts on after we get Margot Robbie on the podcast aiming for Florence Pugh? Oh, my God, don't. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. We can't muddy the campaign. Like, we can't have too many campaigns going on at the one time, but oh, my God. Just to be clear, we are just going for Margot Robbie right now, but I'm not going to cross off the possibility of Florence Pugh one day. My eyes are wide right now. My eyes are wide. (laughs) Three, two, one, Zyrie If you've spent any time on WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter or YouTube in the last month, chances are you've come across a conspiracy theory that the virus that shall not be named is the result of a new 5G mobile network. You see, conspiracy theorists, or as they refer to themselves, truth seekers, say there's a big cover-up at play. And who's helping them take this baseless theory mainstream? None other than a bevy of celebrities, all too keen to share these claims with their millions of impressionable followers. Zara, I don't even know where the hell to start with this one, so I'll just take your lead. What do you want to talk about first? I want to start with the stats. I want to start with the stats. So there has actually been research done on how widespread celebrities and sort of public figures are spreading these messages. Research by Oxford's Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism found that while politicians and celebrities and other prominent public figures were responsible for producing or spreading 20% of false claims about coronavirus, their posts accounted for 69% of total social media engagement, meaning essentially their reach is something that mainstream media can't compete with. Like mainstream media are coming to try and debunk what these celebrities are saying. Like Woody Harrelson, for one, who spread these conspiracy theories on his Instagram feed, but can't compete with their reach. So they can't really have as big an impact as they'd like. Absolutely. You did just mention Woody Harrelson there, but other celebrities who have been guilty of this include reality star Callum Best, actor John Cusack, who else? We had uh, professional boxer Amin Khan. We also had Made in Chelsea star Lucy Watson. I certainly know a few Australian influencers who I will not name who have been guilty of promulgating this information. And I love that you started with that stat because I want to now start with some of the science. Before we talk about anything to do with conspiracy theories, let's give the scientific and the expert analysis on the 5G conspiracy theory. And that is that it is baseless and it has been entirely debunked. So in an article by the BBC, they spoke to Dr. Simon Clark, who is an associate professor in cellular microbiology at the University of Reading. He said the idea that 5G lowers your immune system doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Your immune system can be dipped by all sorts of things, by being tired one day or not having a good diet. Those fluctuations aren't huge, but make you more susceptible to catching viruses. While very strong radio waves can cause heating, 5G is nowhere near strong enough to heat people up to have any meaningful effect. Radio waves can disrupt your physiology as they heat you up, meaning your immune system can't function. But the energy levels from 5G radio waves are tiny and they are nowhere near strong enough to affect your immune system. There have been so many studies on this. Another person who has debunked, I mean, there are so many, but in the same article, another scientist who debunked the 5G conspiracy theory is Adam Finn, professor of pediatrics at the University of Bristol. He said the present epidemic is caused by a virus that is passed from one infected person to another. We know this is true. We even have the virus growing in our lab obtained from a person with the illness. Viruses and electromagnetic waves that make mobile phones and internet connections work are different things, as different as chalk and cheese. I know that's a bit dry and I know that's the scientific take on it, but I think that's really important. I think we need to explain this is a conspiracy theory that has been debunked 
by dozens and dozens of people who know far more about what they're talking about than people on Twitter and Instagram who have read a couple of, I don't know, dumb tweets about it. Yeah, that's a really good point to make about it. There's no shortage of experts who are coming out on the record now saying this is completely debunked and completely untrue and dangerous as it's being spread. And the thing that really annoyed me is that when someone like Woody Harrelson posted this on Instagram, he posted it and basically said something like, I've just been sent this and haven't looked into it much, but it is interesting to know. This is so bloody irresponsible to me. In a period like this, it's never been more important to dig into things and to check sources. Like it's one thing to post this on Instagram and and fundamentally believe it. It's another entirely to have thousands of or millions of followers and say, I'm just going to post this up here. I haven't done my digging. I haven't even fact check it, but here, use it, read it, come up with your own conclusions about it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like the people who believe or are sharing this conspiracy theory sit in a few different camps and I feel differently about each one. I think there's one camp of people that genuinely feel really scared and I feel sorry for those people. Like I feel real sympathy for people who are consumed by thoughts of conspiracy theories because I think it says a lot about their distrust and their fear. And I feel like that would be such a sucky way to go through the universe, feeling like you're being lied to and feeling like there's some greater scheme at play. I also think it's important to note that a lot of people who believe in conspiracy theories might be going through mental illness that we might not understand. And I think it's important for us to at least acknowledge those people that not everyone who believes conspiracy theories is an idiot. I think it's important to acknowledge that this can also be symptomatic of mental illness for some people. And I do feel great sympathy for those people. I feel like there's another camp of people, Zara, who, as you said, are reckless in sharing these conspiracy theories and saying, I haven't done my own research or I've read about this or I saw a conspiracy theory video on YouTube is not an excuse. Like it's not okay. We don't believe in people sharing health misinformation. And I absolutely don't think we should stand by people sharing debunked conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's also not just reckless. It's also a bit arrogant for mine. Like I do think it's arrogant to feel like you can share whatever the hell you want to share on your Instagram and not have to do the proper checks and balances to dig into that to make sure it's true. I agree with you. I think there's a lot to say about fear right now. I think there's a lot to say about uncertainty and terror. I think it's natural to want to question things, and I think it speaks to vulnerability too, but it is so, so dangerous. I think there's a really fine line here between having natural curiosity that people have your best interest at heart, that governments have your best interest at heart, and rewriting someone's entire history or entire reality. It makes me think a lot about the Sandy Hook conspiracies that were completely debunked and completely unfounded, that the massacre was actually orchestrated by the US government as part of like an elaborate plot to promote stricter gun controls. And by promulgating that narrative, by pushing that conspiracy theory, you're not just asking questions and trying to hold people to account. You're making the world a worse place by spreading misinformation and rewriting someone's grief and reality. When it comes to 5G and coronavirus, you're rewriting someone's reality right now by saying that's the cause of it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I do think as well, I want to include this, that I don't think all conspiracies are built the same. Like I genuinely do believe some conspiracy theories can serve a good purpose and that I think inquiry and curiosity are two really important things in a functioning society. I think it's good to question things, investigate things, do your research. And sometimes conspiracy theories can unveil truths. However, if your conspiracy theory has already been investigated and experts on that conspiracy theory have already given their analysis and their findings, 
I think it's important to listen to that. I absolutely think arrogance is at the heart of this because I think some people who share conspiracy theories genuinely believe they know more about something than the experts who have studied decades in that field know. I kind of have to disagree with you, but it might just come down to our semantics and our definitions of conspiracy theories. But I don't think that all conspiracy theories or some conspiracy theories serve a purpose. I think questioning and curiosity serves a purpose. But the minute a conspiracy theory is born, I almost feel like it exists outside the realm of reality. And it almost is something that's been debunked. That's why it's therefore defined as a conspiracy. That's why I have such an issue with the term conspiracy theories and the concept of conspiracy theories, because almost largely I find them unhelpful. Well, I mean, largely I do. But when I said I don't find them to be made equally, I think there would be across history some conspiracy theories that have been helpful. And I think they're few and far between. But I don't think saying all conspiracy theories are a waste of time is correct because I don't truly believe that. I think there are conspiracy theories that do have some weight to them. The vast majority don't. I just don't want us to use some blanket terminology that says these types of things are wasteful because I do believe as well saying that all conspiracies are bullshit and not worth any of our time is also dangerous because if we tell these people we're not going to investigate what you're saying, we're not going to listen to you, you're wrong, and if we try to censor them, those people just grow stronger in what they believe. I truly do believe that in the majority of cases, light is the best disinfectant. Let these people have their conspiracy theories, let people debunk them and bring knowledge and information and insight to it. I just wished that once that happened, once the experts came out and shared their findings, these people would be a little bit more receptive to listening. No, I totally agree with that. I agree that it's not helpful and we've seen this time and time again to live in bubbles where we just completely ignore people or we completely shut them down without actually listening to what they have to say and understanding what feelings are feeding those words and those ideas. I think that's incredibly important. I just think I wish, as you say, that influencers and celebrities and people with huge followings would actually stop being so arrogant and stop being so reckless and actually dig into what the hell they're sharing before they actually share it. We would love to hear, do you have a loved one, a family member, a boyfriend, a girlfriend who is sharing these conspiracy theories or is dogged in believing that they are right? We would love for you to come into our Facebook group and talk to us about it because it's also an interesting dilemma. How do you deal with people in your life who you love and want to support who believe these things? How do you talk to them about it? How do you get through to them? We'd love for you to come into our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. Other than that, Zara, I think that's all we've got time for. That is all we've got time for. Thank you so much for listening as always and thank you so much for getting behind our new sort of temporary who knows how long this is going to go on series in isolation we started with brooke boney we have another episode we are super excited to drop on thursday so thank you so much for that as mish said we will be on instagram at shameless podcast on facebook at shameless podcast community and we'll be back in your ears on thursday bye guys Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.